0: Well, let's look in uh, 1 Timothy. We started this lesson last week. We're going to finish it up tonight and uh, continue, I thought, of just understanding the church. And uh, there's so much that you could uh, study and and, uh, books that you could write about the church. Uh, We we want to just highlight some um, basic principles that will help us in understanding what the church should be and how it should function. In first Timothy chapter one and verse twelve, it says I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, <clears throat> who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry, uh, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but obtained mercy, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, to life everlasting." now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So our text that we're building this lesson off of is ministry, understanding the church in light of ministry. It says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. And I like that verse because it identifies Paul's Ability to be able to be in the ministry was not based on his intellectual ability. But he states here that it was the Lord who had enabled him. And when we think about ministry, to think about the church, it certainly starts on the foundation and basis of simplicity that it's built upon Christ and Christ alone. Uh, But as we enter into the reality of ministry to do the work of God and serve others within the body of Christ, it is God who does the enabling. He is the one that strengthens us, gifts us. Every one of us have different spiritual gifts. God has so given that to us uh, so that we might be able to exercise those gifts within the church, within the body of Christ. And so the church is not only simplistic in its foundation being upon Christ, but it is ministry-oriented that God has gifted us to help others. Oftentimes people say, well, I couldn't do anything in church. I couldn't do anything in ministry. Well, you're right. You can't of yourself, but God can enable us to do what he desires to use us for. And Paul said he put him in, he said, putting me into the ministry. And if God will gift us and God will give us grace and God will grow us in uh, the grace and knowledge of who he is, then certainly God can put us into the ministry. God can open a door for you to be used in a mighty way. First of all, last week we kind of started off with this. Uh, The church, understanding the church in regards to ministry, the church is for praying. And in Acts chapter 12, we know in that passage, when we did these fill-ins, I'll give them to you if you just got a lesson this week. But we know that Peter was in prison, and the amazing thing is, when he was in prison, the first thing the church did was not think of, well, we need to protest against the government. And, or we uh, uh, need to be aggressive and vengeful in going against those who imprisoned uh, the, Lord, uh, uh, the apostle Peter. That wasn't their first reaction. Their first reaction is, we need to pray. And when Peter was in prison, James had been beheaded. Peter is thrown in prison. The church went to God in prayer. And so the church is a place for prayer. And so it was response, letter A there, it, it was in response to persecution. And so when persecution comes, and it will come, uh, then we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for God's ability and strength to protect us and to deliver us. And we know the outcome that God set Peter free from being in prison and the church was praying, but they were shocked when he showed up at the door. And I'm amazed sometimes, I know in my own life, I prayed for things and, and, and then I'm shocked when it comes to pass. And if we really believe that God hears our prayers and will answer in accordance with his will every time in a way that he can be glorified, we shouldn't be shocked when he actually answers the prayers that we offer up. And so the church is a place of ministry in re- reference to it's a place for praying. We minister towards one another through our prayers. And so in response to persecution, it was with sincere dedication Uh, because it says in Acts chapter 12 that prayer was made of the church. They came together being burdened for the condition that Peter was in, and so they were dedicated to praying. They didn't just say, well, we prayed, and now uh, all of a sudden the answer didn't come when we prayed, so we're going to stop praying. No, they were dedicated. They were devoted to be willing to pray. I was talking to someone the other day, and they told me, they said, you know, uh, the older I get, the more things I have to deal with in life, I'm, I'm really starting to learn what it means to pray without ceasing. And, you know, sometimes uh, we have this idea, well, we'll pray, but if the answer doesn't come right away, we just stop praying about it. No, we're supposed to pray without ceasing. And I'm going to tell you, there was a dedication on behalf of the church when Peter was in prison, and they were praying sincerely together. But then we, we, the other fill-in is that brought unification. And, uh, you know, uh, we're living in a day uh, where uh, uh, people aren't unified together. They might be in the same church, but they're not unified. And uh, well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I know of a church in South Jersey that used to run 200, 250 people. Uh, the pastor retired, and another pastor came in there. A pastor left that, that church now is down to about 50 people. I know of a small church in South Jersey also that used to run about 100, 130 people for the little town it was in. Uh, the pastor retired and couldn't continue on, and the church is down to about a handful of people, maybe 5, 10 people. Just got a notification of a church down in Hamilton that used to run 200 people back in the 70s and 80s, and the pastor had to move on I've been there quite a while, and they had to move on since the early 70s. That church has only had three pastors, but the pastor that was there had to move on. That church, now, they're looking for a pastor, and they said this, we're down to five people. Down to five people. And uh, I know of another church down in Elkton, Maryland. Uh, pastor is leaving the church. And uh, they're struggling to keep the people in the church because the pastor's leaving, and so what happens is people just are leaving the church. That's not being unified together. We don't we don't drop the church and run out of the church because there may be problems coming. We don't run away from the ministry that God gives us because times change and situations are, arise and. We're living in an era now in America where there is no unification to the church. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a part of the family of God. And when difficulties come, we don't run. We lay on our faces before God and pray that God would bring an answer and give deliverance. He inbounds to this prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ the mind of humility and of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit praying. And I just wonder sometimes if our prayer life struggles because of the fact we're not comprehending this whole concept that in prayer, we ought to gain an understanding of who God is. And um, we come to know Christ In a greater way through our prayers, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. And so our prayer life, our church is to be a place for praying and how we need to pray. Uh, Acts chapter 13, I see when we think of the ministry of the church, and what we're doing is just going through the New Testament in sequence as far as where the word church is used, where church is identified. And uh, in Acts, uh, chapter 12, the church is mentioned as being a place for praying. But as you continue through the book of Acts and you get Acts chapter 13 in uh, verse 1, we see the church is a place for missionary endeavors. And uh, chapter 13, verses one Says now, when uh, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger and Lucius so Cyrene and Manian, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, and as they ministered, see, there's that church. The church is together. There's that concept. The church is ministry. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, there's a ministry, a prayer, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. So the place of missionary endeavors. You know, it's alarming thing is that we're watching missionaries are coming back off the mission field. I just got a notification this week of one of our missionaries is coming back off the mission field. And he's going to be taking the church here in the States. And and that's fine. That's okay. But it's just an alarming thing in the last year, last two years, probably I think it's four or five of our missionaries have come back off the mission field. And I don't see anybody going back on the mission field to replace them. And uh, I think we have forgotten that the church is not about fun and games. We enjoy our life together. And we enjoy fellowship, and 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 we enjoy entertainment, and all these different types of things. But the church is a place of ministry, and a place of ministry is mindful of the fact of a missionary endeavor. And we have the 40th anniversary of our church coming up, and you know, I was talking with Pastor Dewana and Patrick, Pastor Petrozello today, and planning some things, and we want to get a hold of people that are from our church, that are in ministry. Uh, Most people don't know how many people that encompasses, but there's a large number of people who are out in ministry from this church. And I praise God for that. And uh, they're ministering uh, all across this nation, and we're thankful for the opportunity to be a, a part of their life and a part of their ministry. But you understand that those ministries that they are involved in were birthed out of the local ministry. So missionary endeavors are birthed out of the local church. And uh, I, I see a lot of things that go on uh, where a lot of mission boards are kind of taking the, the position, developing the concept that they're the ones that are sending missionaries out. The reality is the mission board is nothing more than a tool or instrument in the hand of the local church. It's the local church that sends missionaries out. This whole concept of sending out Paul and Barnabas uh, to go out and preach the Word of God and establish the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul took place out of the local church. And if, we do, if we're not focused on understanding what church is and what ministry is in the church, then there certainly is not going to be that concept That out of the church, there ought to be missionaries going out on the mission field. There ought to be individuals that are surrendering to go out and fulfill the ministries that God is calling them to fulfill. And if God is not calling, my question is, is it because we're not listening? Because I always want to be sensitive to the call of God. I always want to be sensitive with what ministry the Lord wants to do through our local church ministry. And so here they are. They're in the church at Antioch. They're ministering in the church at Antioch, and in that environment, God calls Barnabas and Saul to the work that He was going to call them to. So, notice, secondly, that missionary endeavors are motivated by God's will. Motivated by God's will, uh, He said, uh, "Call them. Um, um, separate unto me." Barnabas and Saul, and here it is, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so to know that God has called us and uh, to fulfill the work or the ministry that he would have us to fulfill. I believe God's called us all to pray. I really do. I believe God's called all of us to testify of his grace with others, talking to them and sharing our faith with them. I really believe with all my heart that if we're, we would understand and acknowledge the call of God in our life, we would be motivated to connect with the local assembly, the local church, and understand that through the local church, God moves and God calls and God sends missionaries to go out on the mission field. So it's being birthed out of local ministry, motivated by God's call, and then identified in Outreach. And it says, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. So they were identified in going out. And every week we have people to go out visiting, and uh, we have people that are willing to uh, do discipleship, teach uh, Sunday school, be involved in a WANA program, or whatever it may be. We have to be identified as someone who is reaching out to the world, reaching out to our community. If we're not gonna reach out, then, Noah, then we're not gonna survive. i read a quote, I forget who said it. I was looking up some quotes a week or so ago, and I read this quote, it said this, if we cease to evangelize, we fossilize. I like that, I don't remember who said it, but I like what he said. And that convicted my heart. If we cease to evangelize, we will fossilize. And I'm afraid that I look across our world in which we live, and I just think of these different churches that I know of that are looking for pastors and the condition that they're in. There was a point in time where they stopped evangelizing. And if you do not evangelize, if we do not share our faith with others... And we do not deliberately go out and visit to, to invite people to church and share our faith with them. If we are not literally conscious of the opportunities that God gives us to tell others about Jesus Christ, it won't be long. And all we'll be is a fossil for someone to find and look up. And so identified in outreach. The church, as far as ministry is concerned, is identified or connected with praying and de- being involved in missionary endeavors. Uh, evaluated regularly. In uh, Acts chapter 14, I thought it was interesting as Paul went out on the missionary journeys, that he came back to the local church and rehearsed all that God had done. Evaluated. Evaluated. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, it says, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And we have missionaries. We support missionaries. They go out and they preach and they establish churches and and uh, lead people to Christ. When they come back to the United States, it's not for the purpose Specifically of just getting money, they come back to the states to rehearse all that God had done with them uh, through the ministry that they're involved in. And so as Paul would go on the missionary journeys, he would come back and he would report to the churches, this is what God did. He opened the door to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were being saved. And so uh, missionary endeavors are experienced through the ministry of the church, through the ministry of the local church. So the church ministry uh, is is for, it's a place of praying. It's a place of missionary endeavors. David Livingston said, "If if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can we uh, commissioned by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? And when I read that, I thought, Well, I never thought of it that way. Because oftentimes we talk about, Well, you're going into ministry; it's going to be a sacrifice. Well, you're going to go on the mission field; that's going to be a sacrifice. No wonder nobody goes on and goes into full-time ministry if all we do is act like it's a complete sacrifice. Why is it such a sacrifice to serve the living King of heaven and the creator of the world, but it's not a sacrifice to serve earthly Kings. I don't understand that. I really don't. Oswald Smith said this, the church that doesn't, Oh, there it is. I forgot. I put it in this lesson and uh, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. And uh, I, I told my wife, we were talking the other day and, And I told her that I thought of that uh, quote, but I forgot what message I put it in. Amen. So anyway, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. So it's a place of missionary endeavor. It's also in Acts chapter 14 in uh, verse 23. It's a place for ordaining elders and pastors. Elders and pastors are terms that are synonymous one with another Elder is a mature man or a growing man in the faith. Uh, the uh, pastor is the overseer of the church. And so a pastor or uh, elder is ordained within the local church assembly. In Acts chapter 14 in verse 23 speaks of, of this matter of ordaining. It says that when they had ordained them elders in every church... And had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So the church is a place of ordaining elders or pastors. Uh, We have ordained several men uh, in the time that I've been here as the pastor. And uh, I know we have, uh, I got to talk with Anthony. He needs to be ordained. And uh, so the amazing thing is, is you don't get ordained by a college. I want the Bible college. When I graduated, I got my degree, but they did not ordain me. It was Emanuel Baptist Church that had started the college and we had a choice, either we could be ordained in Emanuel Baptist Church or we could be ordained in our home church. Uh, I got ordained in Emanuel Baptist Church because I got saved and in less than a year I was in Bible college. So I was at Emanuel Baptist Church longer that I was at my home church. And so Emanuel Baptist Church was like my home church. That's where I grew in the Lord. That's where I started going soul winning. Uh, That's where I was able to do ministry. And so I wanted to be ordained at Emanuel Baptist Church. Uh, The college did not ordain me. It was a church. And people are not ordained into the gospel ministry by organizations And by educational institutions and all these other types of things, uh, we have forgotten the significance of the local church. The local church is what what has the authority to ordain pastors and uh, elders in the church. Notice, first of all, that when you talk about ordination, it's approved by the church. In verse 23, it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church... And uh, so they were the ones that decided that they would ordain them. The word ordain literally means to appoint by vote. And uh, so it was the church that decided that they would ordain them. Years ago, I had a young fellow that was going to be ordained. They were going to have an ordination council. And uh, they asked me to be on the ordination council. And, and I knew there were some situations and issues that were a problem in this young man's life. And I refused to be on the ordination council. I don't, I don't take this thing lightly when we talk about putting our stamp of approval on somebody to be in full-time ministry. I remember years ago, I sat on the ordination council. And the young fellow was doctrinally, uh, he didn't know how to defend what he believed. And there were some real major issues on some doctrinal issues, especially when it came to Uh, The fullness of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and all this, that, and the other. And I told the guys when we met and about, I told them, I said, I'm not putting my name on that ordination. And I said, that young man needs to work with a pastor somewhere where he can get his doctrine straight before he is actually ever ordained. So I'm not putting my name on that thing. And so when you talk about ordaining, you have to realize that it is based on the fact of the church approving it it's based on the fact that the church is the one who decides this person is qualified Uh, an ordination council is not the one that decides it the ordination council is for the purpose of evaluating and questioning the candidate and then the ordination council makes a recommendation to the church but the church doesn't have to accept the recommendation from the council it is the church the pastor and the deacons in the church leading the congregation of the church to understand where the individual is and what they believe and how they live, whether or not they, in fact, are qualified to be ordained into the ministry. You say, "Well, you're pretty hard news." Uh, yeah, you're right. I am. I I think there's too much. There's a too much of a light-hearted attitude about this old concept of putting people in spiritual leadership that are not qualified. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 1, it says, This is a true saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. The bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, good to, uh, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not, no striker, not greedy, of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own household, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own household, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he being lifted up, lest being lifted up uh, with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, in other words, the unsaved, lest he fall into reproach and into the snare of the devil. And so this matter of the approval of the church is based on the qualification that God lays out before mankind that they're to hold to. Now, all kinds of issues and situations arise when you read 1 Timothy chapter 3 with people wanting to justify conduct that is not approved of God in reference to spiritual leadership in the church. Well, that when Paul was writing that, it was a different time. It doesn't matter. The word of God is from time to all eternity. And so we need to approve. Elders and pastors need to be approved of by the church then they're presented to the Lord in verse 23. And uh, he says, they commended them to the Lord. That word commend means to set before. And so uh, I remember, (laughs) I should write a book, I really should. Uh, Years ago, I had a young fellow who was gonna be a deacon and he had been nominated to be a deacon. And he came to me and he said this, He said, I don't know if I want to be a deacon. I said, what's the matter? I feel as though you're spiritually mature enough to do that. He said, I actually had somebody that came and wanted to know if whether before he voted, whether he was going to approve me being a deacon. He wanted to know if I as a deacon was going to keep you in check. That's what he said. I told him, I said, that's not fair to you. What makes you think you can keep an individual in check? It's God who keeps the pastor in check. It's not man. I said, that person who ever said that to you doesn't even understand what the role of the pastor or the deacon is in a church. I said, don't let somebody like that intimidate you. And uh, he never did become a deacon. He said, no, I can't do it. I'll tell you, that, that destroyed that young man. It destroyed him. In Acts chapter 20, and verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And so the individual who is ordained of God is presented to the Lord and that he might be entrusted in God's guidance and blessing in his life. Then he is to be assured in their faith. In other words, you can't have somebody who is an ordained elder in the church that is not confident that they're saved. They have to have this matter of salvation nailed down. Uh, This whole thing in the churches today with Calvinism, it's been going on. This whole thing with charismatics back in the 80s, that was a big thing was the charismatics. Uh, And I'll I'll tell you, all this foolishness that is doctrinal error and people flip-flop back and forth because they're not sure where they want to take the position. And uh, somebody that's going to be ordained in the leadership of the church certainly should have his faith settled, what he believes. It says they committed him to the Lord of whom they believed. And so believed means to be persuaded of. And so we need to be fully persuaded. I have had in the last 35 years since I've been saved and went to Bible college and been in ministry, it's alarming to me how many doctrinal errors that is constantly being presented to me of people desiring to have it in the church. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't know what you believe, you have no business. You have no business being a pastor or, or an elder in the church. You got to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. And you got to refuse to bend from what you believe. Because I'll guarantee you, almost every day there's something that hits to try to get the preacher, the pastor, the elder, or whatever you want to call them, to bend. So they need to be assured of their faith. So the church, it's a place for ordaining. How can we make sure there's no charlatans? How can we protect people from being abused? How can we protect oh, uh, financial oh, uh, thievery in churches and that the other? Oh, well, one way you can do that, just make sure whoever's in the position of leadership's qualified to be there. And so ordained elders and pastors. The church, when you talk about ministry, is also for settling doctrinal errors. In Acts chapter 15, just going right along in the scriptures from chapter to chapter. Next time the church is mentioned is in Acts chapter 15 and verse 4. And it says, And when they were come to Jerusalem, uh, they, they were received of the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was, it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses, I remember I preached a message years ago. It was entitled "Then cometh the Pharisee." The Pharisee always shows up. I don't care what's going on. he always shows up. and so here they're coming they're they're sharing first of all, a positive testimony in verse four. They're telling them, they're declaring chapter 14, they're rejoicing in Antioch of all that God was doing and how the gospel was open to the Gentiles. And as they come to Jerusalem, they come and they have a positive testimony. These are the things that God has been doing. But then cometh the Pharisee. And yeah, I just know this. I've, I've been at this thing long enough that whenever God is blessing and God wants to do something miraculous, in his church, the Pharisee shows up. And there's all kinds of attacks that go on. And we need to be praying, because I'm going to tell you, the devil is fighting strong against this church. And we need to be praying that God will protect and God will lead and God will do something miraculous in our midst. Positive testimony. I just see Paul in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of questioning, and what. He has a positive testimony, and we need to have a positive testimony of the good things of God. Why? Because number five, verse five there is, letter B, Pharisees' opposition. There's always somebody that's going to oppose what God's doing. And uh, I've heard it for years, you know, we should try to do something different. Oh, well, we've never done it that way before. Well, that doesn't mean we can't do it. And uh, sometimes I just like changing the service around just to throw you off. (laughs) Because you think this is when we're going to sing a song and then we'll just throw something else in there. Amen. Now, why? Because they got to keep you awake and keep you on your toes. Amen. But Pharisees oppose everything. And we—I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about defiling ourselves. I'm just saying they're rehearsing a great testimony. They're talking about positive things that God's been doing. And here they come, these Pharisees. Apparently, they were saved. It said which believed. And then they say it was needful to be circumcised, and that they need to keep the law of Moses. There's always somebody coming along wanting to add to salvation. There's only, we're saved by grace through faith. There's nothing you can add to it. And uh, some young young people, we had these couple young kids got baptized on Sunday. We're not careful. Somebody will come along and say, well, yeah, I wonder if they were really saved. Well, they were saved. If they called on the name of the Lord and believed in their heart, they're saved and they're going to heaven. We don't have to qualify people by what they do and how they live. We qualify people on whether they're saved by their Positive testimony that they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. But these Pharisees come along and say, "Hey, they're really saved, they're going to be circumcised. If they're really saved, they're going to have to keep the law of Moses. And then there's a pastoral meeting in verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Now, what if the apostles... And what if the elders weren't grounded in their faith to deal with that issue? That would have been a corrupt doctrinal error that would have crept into the church. And the reality is sometimes the pastor needs to step in, the elders of the church need to step in and correct the issue when it's wrong. And uh, I remember when I first came here. I remember when I met with the Sunday school teachers and all that, I went in the office, and I opened the office, door, the, the, the file drawer, and it had standards for doing ministry in the church in there. And I pulled it out. I need to meet with everybody and give that reapply that to you. Some of you need to learn that again. But anyway, I pulled it out, and when I went into a Sunday school teachers' meeting, workers' meeting and everything, and I handed it out. Oh my goodness, I had one fellow man, he was mad at me, he was yelling at me. Another, one, another person said, "Are oh, you just come in here imposing all these things on us. And I looked at him, I said, wait a minute, I didn't type this. This came out of your file. This was here before I got here. So the response was, yeah, but you're the only one who wants to enforce it. I said, what's the sense in having guidelines to do ministry if we're not going to live by those guidelines? You do understand in the the climate of the era of which we live in America, that if you do not function and operate as a church membership and church ministry, the way your constitution, your bylaws, And your statement of faith says that's how you operate and that's how you're supposed to live. And you don't function that way. If there is ever a lawsuit, you will lose. Because the judge doesn't care if you know what the Bible says. He wants to know what is your bylaws and your operating requirements and standard of ministry. What does that say? And are people living that way? People have forgotten that the world holds us to a higher standard than what we're willing to live by. And so we start becoming a Pharisee if we don't watch out. Sometimes you just need to have a meeting to straighten things out. John R. Rice, I like what he said. Some of you look like you're getting nervous, so I'll go on with the quotes. People go wrong in their fellowship before they go wrong in their doctrine. And I read that, I said, amen, that is, that is the problem. Our children go wrong, they go on the wrong path because they get connected with the wrong people. And without fail, I've watched for 25 or 24 years I've been here, people who leave the church, before they leave the church, they make friends with somebody else who sways them to disbelieve what they believe and what we believe as a church. Oh beware! The devil knows how to bring people into your life to draw you away from Christ. Proverbs four two says, "For I give you good doctrine; forsake not my law." Matthew twenty two thirty three says, "When the multitude." Uh, heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' uh, doctrine in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Romans 16.7, Now beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine uh, which ye have learned, and avoid them in 1 Timothy 4.13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So the church is for the purpose of settling doctrinal issues. And so we need to live according to what we know the Word of God says. Why? Because we want to do ministry. We want to minister to people. And we can't minister to people if we don't have faith to believe what we say we believe. And so uh, some good thoughts there on ministry. So the church is simply simplified in that it's built on Christ. The church ministers because of the fact that Christ has directed us to accomplish certain things in ministry and reaching out to others. So let's strive to do that.